0: Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And as always, I'm in the beautiful Spurgeon Library with my colleague, my friend, Ronnie Kurtz, assistant director of marketing, assistant professor of Christian studies, managing editor of For the Church, and now fresh off of Sending off his dissertation, one step away from defending. That's right. In one week, is that what it is? One week. One week today. One week from today. Yeah. So it's not a surprise, as we talked about before. They're not going to ambush you. Praise the Lord. I still think that's the way they should do it. (laughs) You're just walking down the hall, and somebody jumps out. We'll see if you're really ready. (laughs) Defend your dissertation. (laughs) We'll see if you if you really know this stuff. Yeah. So you were up, you just said, uh, till about three thirty last 3:30 night. Three thirty in the morning. Yeah. I'm not
1: I don't typically do that. I'm typically, you know, I'm an old soul, so I'm typically in bed early. But uh, last night was the I'm just getting this thing done. Yeah. And so I stayed up and there was like six or seven you know how it is when you're trying to finish a project. Just yeah. last pieces of editing. The printer, of course, was being oh, silly yeah, at two yeah, yeah. AM and yeah. So anyways, but it's all done.
0: Okay. So. So when you're doing these edits and things are these things that your um your directors or whatever like they you, uh your readers had said do this or is it just your natural proofreading or is is both?
1: Uh more of the first than the second but it is okay. both. So okay. yeah, my my uh, first and second chair uh for my for my dissertation gave a number of revisions. I wrote 51 additional pages from Aww. my first draft to my second draft. It's,
0: this is not motivating me to want to <laughs> get going on it. You got it, man. I'm he, officially he in it. the phase. Oh, really? You're yeah. in the writing phase? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, but I just am I'm having some some trouble you getting motivated. It. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not helping me, actually. <laughs> hey, I've got good news. What's that? I, I got an update, right? So if you're uh, a loyal <laughs> listener to the podcast or you just listened to the most recent episode with, uh, with Ronnie and myself, uh, you know that the we had this bearded dragon problem. Oh yes, our, I've been waiting house. for this update. <laughs> this thing was out, brother. Like when I added up the dates of when we discovered he was gone. Um. So yeah, almost a month, like three weeks, and but we found him. I mean, that's and he's that's alive. A, he he was alive. Just this on, is what's <laughs> this is what's amazing to me. This thing was out for like uh, almost a month. Yeah, it, it was. Lit, I think it was. Uh, twenty two days, something like twenty two days. It was oh, lost God. in our house, yeah. and we had got to the point of just like he's got to be upstairs. He's somewhere that we just haven't because we scoured everywhere. But anyway, I was downstairs. Uh, we we have a finished basement. And I have an office down there, and it, and uh, and Becky has an office down there as well. And it's kind of like they're situated next to each other. So I sit in my office working, and I could hear this rustling from from Beck's office, like you know, which. It was obvious there was something in there. Yeah. And I thought, okay, it's either we have a mouse, which in the basement, you know, I guess is possible. Or I found him. And <laughs> because I hate this thing, I don't, I didn't want to go look. I didn't want to go see him. <laughs> I just, I can't stand it. I just, it's not my deal. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't I like it. it. I don't want to touch him. None of that. So I texted back and I was like, I think I hear Zeus in, in this your office. Amazing. And she came down and sure enough, he was behind a bookshelf so he had the, like this, this open bookcase that, that doesn't have a back on it. And he was behind some, like a row of books on the bottom bookcase. And I could just kind of hear him like r- rushing against this. So I don't know if he, I mean, we looked back there. We looked everywhere. So I don't know where he was when we were looking. Yeah. But obviously he was hiding out wow. somewhere.
1: What I love about this is listeners might not know that you're, <laughs> a, you're a pretty serious, seriously committed introvert.
0: Yes, but Zeus
1: has won up your introversion. That's yes, right. <laughs> he was maybe dead for yeah. 22 days. He went MIA.
0: Well, we th- <laughs> we thought like if I mean not to be you know morbid, but we would smell you know like if he was if he died, we probably yeah. could smell yeah. him right. de- decomposing. <laughs> was, like if he was in a wall or something. Uh, when we lived in in in, uh, in Nashville, we had something that died in our uh, like in the wall inside our garage somehow, like within the wall um and i think it was a mole of some kind that it had gotten up through cuz it cuz we could found some you know some holes and i couldn't figure out like how to get it out what to do so we just lived with this rotting corpse <laughs> smell in our garage For a few weeks, and then it just went away. Apparently, it decomposed enough. Well, my (laughs) my dissertation
1: horrors have made you not want to write a dissertation. Yeah, your bearded dragon horrors (laughs) have made me never.
0: Just put a lid on the cage. That's all I gotta say. (laughs) Put a lid on the cage and don't put a hammock near the top. I knew this was a a possibility. Hey, it's a mailbag episode. I'm not even gonna. Some good mail. I'm not even gonna bother trying to do transition. I could have figured something out with like rotting (laughs) corpses and. Social media or something, I guess, but uh, we put our call out for some questions, topics that you guys would like us to discuss. Got some good responses. Um, Usually I get more, I feel like on Facebook, maybe I say something different every time, but I feel like we get more on Facebook, Um, but the last couple of times we've gotten more on Twitter, which is, yeah, yeah. Twitter's really coming through in the clutch. So all but one today comes from Twitter. Uh, The last one that we'll share from uh Facebook, but i've just let's just jump on yeah, in. How let's about do it uh Sean on Twitter wants to know what do you do if a pastor talks bad talks badly i suppose uh says negative things about previous congregations mm. Mm, yeah <laughs> and I'm assuming he means uh like if it's your pastor and he's talking. Poorly of negative, uh, or maybe of it's like previous a, congregation,
1: a friend of yours, like you know.
0: Oh, and he's just kind of like bad mouthing mm-hmm. the churches that he's been in before. Yeah, so but because I think it could be slightly different depending on. That's right. I mean, I don't know that our answers would be drastically different, but if it's your pastor versus a friend of yours who is a pastor, maybe you would approach it differently. I don't know. Maybe you address that. How, so yeah. let's say it's a friend of yours. Uh-huh. That, you know, that's kind of where your mind went. It's a friend of yours, and he's always talking negatively about his previous congregations. What do you do?
1: Yeah, I do think that, I do think I would answer those two questions maybe a touch differently. Yeah. Not, not like drastically differently, but right. a touch. And for the friend, because that is where my mind went. Like, my mind went to the person asking this question is probably himself a pastor. Okay. And one of his pastoral friends has uh, left a okay. church. And okay. Is, yeah. So, in that case, um, which I might be totally wrong about that— um, in that case, I would say I want to serve two roles. One, I want to serve the role of a friend to the brother who has left his church or whatever it may be, and be, be an outside outlet for him to be able to voice frustrations in a way that's healthy. Yeah, I want to be that. I think it's good and healthy and right for pastors to have friends outside of their own congregation for a number of reasons. It's not always possible, but I do think it's good when it, when it is possible. Uh, and that's one role I want to play. The other role I want to play is to make sure the brother doesn't cross the line into the devil's work, because sure. we, we, you know, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and uh, the, the the brothers and the sisters do not need more accusers. Right. And so, right. Uh, if it moves into that category, I want to move from the role of friend who's listening and encouraging to the role of uh, maybe a, a gentle, loving rebuke of, "Hey, hey I think you you're now crossed the line of yeah just." Needing support and now either gossiping or accusing.
0: Yeah. I mean that, you know, the first thing I would want to know is number one, what is he saying? And in a way, kind of how often is he saying it? Like is this something he's just dwelling on constantly? Yeah. It's affecting his life to the point of it's his his identity, every conversation, any talk of ministry, everything keeps going back to that. Well, that's indi- you know, indicative of a problem, mm-hmm. regardless of if he's tr if what he's saying is true or not. It could be that it's it's so dominating his thought life and 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 shaping him um that he really needs to you know reconsider and 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 kind of reevaluate uh his thoughts there. So is it true? How often is he saying it? Um you, you know, that's kind of where my concern goes is um if someone was really hurt, as you said, there may be a, a need to process mm-hmm. some of the things. So like is what he's saying true? If what he's saying is true. Um, you know, there are churches who are, you know, hurtful to pastors. There are churches who treat pastors poorly. And I certainly wouldn't, you know, wouldn't say to any friend of mine, um, never talk about that, you know, (laughs) please don't process that, you know, process that in front of me or, um, you know, I, I do think you could venture into, it's become so defining of your life that you need to kind of, Um, you know, hand it over to the Lord, uh, you know, forgive where you need to forgive and, and you know, begin to kind of work through it and not let it define you. Um, or it it could turn into accusation where it's almost a scorched earth policy, yeah. right? There's, you know, people who did me wrong, therefore that whole church is whatever. Or everyone there is, you know, bad or evil. You know, that kind of thinking, all or nothing, scorched earth policy thinking, that needs to be addressed as as well. But if I'm a friend, you know, um, you know, I've been through some rough, you know, situations as well, so I'm I'm never going to say never speak negatively about a previous church. Now, if it's my pastor, yeah. And it's something I, you know, first of all, why does it keep coming up? Like why is he always bringing is he bringing it up from the pulpit? Is he talking negatively, you know, that, you know, you know, this previous church uh did it wrong, but we're doing it right? Is he, you know, that to me is 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 out of bounds because it's 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 positing kind of a division within the kingdom, right? It's a, or a competition mm-hmm. mentality. I think it's one thing to bring up past negative experiences as a means of applying or or, or trying to give some kind of life lesson or, or testimony. But if you keep going back to the well of my last church or my old church or previous church, and and that becomes kind of a driving mm-hmm. message— I think you've wandered into that kind of accusation territory, right?
1: Yeah. And you bring up something. I wasn't even thinking about this until you said it. But there's also a there's also just a line of wisdom here because, I mean, even your writing ministry, Jared, a lot of it of like the the Gospel center church stuff you do was driven off of being a part of the pragmatic church right. and seeing some of the shortcomings there and wanting to help churches move into more robust gospel centered. And so in a way you're like looking backwards and saying, Hey, let's not do it that way. Let's do it this way. Yeah. But, but I think the way that you've modeled is a wise way to do it. I think an unwise way to do it would be to name the church all the time. Like if you're naming a past church in the pulpit, that's just probably never going to go well. Um, I do think there's even ways that you can frame things that would be a little more wise than, like, the last church I was at, even if you don't name. Right, right. Uh, but just say, you know, something like—this is obviously off the top of my head—but something like, um, you know, I've seen, I've seen church done this way, and and it's probably for these reasons. And I'm just not sure that's the wisest way. Here's going to be another way to do it. Uh, I think you can—even if you're a pastor who's wanting to do the application like you're talking about, yeah. based off of lived experiences that went poorly, there's there's wiser ways to do it than— yeah. naming or
0: yeah. Yeah, you know, uh based on the way Sean phrased his question here, previous congregations means that there's plural. And huh. yeah. the the fact that um so he says what do you do if a pastor talks bad about previous congregations? Um I think maybe there's a legitimate concern here that if this is like a pattern, like he mm-hmm. like everything, every place this guy has been or has come from Um, he has something negative to say about him. And it's possible he's the most, you know, unlucky pastor (laughs) ever. Uh, But I I would have kind of a twinge of alarm because I would be thinking, gosh, every place this guy has been, he has something negative to say. And it keeps coming up. Like this is a pattern of, I think, we're, you know, I would be thinking we're next on the list, right? Right. So at some point in the future, we're going to be added to this list of, of, of things that are wrong, and so I think I would try to approach this person, whether it's a friend or or if it's my pastor, and um, you know gently ask questions um, whether you know these thoughts are so occupying you know their mind that it's becoming distracting, mm-hmm. um whether it's uh, stealing their joy, whether it's preventing them from loving people. um, I think those are all you know legitimate questions to ask, especially Absolutely. if you care about your pastor and you care about your church, right? so you don't want your pastor to be pastoring out of bitterness, um, and so how you approach it, I think, is important, but I think probably uh, a need for someone, whatever the accountability structure is, um, to have some kind of conversation. if this is a th- this is a known thing, he's just always talking bad about previous churches. I'm not saying like he shared a story once, yeah, but this sounds like th- like this is a thing. He's mm-hmm. kind of known for this. Um, it's definitely worth, I think, exploring with him. Okay, here's um, a t. On Twitter, I don't know what A.T. stands for. (laughs) A.T. Robertson or uh, A.T. on Twitter wants to know, how do you find godly mentors? So young man, young woman looking for um, someone a little bit older, a little bit wiser, someone who can um, disciple them, I suppose, but mentor them. How do you go about finding godly mentors?
1: Yeah, I think this is a good question. Mentors are so needed, and I've been so blessed by mentors in my life. My answer might sound... um, Unsatisfactory. I'm worried, but I would okay. say <laughs>
0: yeah, you need a mentor for the question. <laughs>
1: yeah. Jared, how should I answer this? <laughs> yeah,
0: well, well, let's see.
1: I uh, I would say mentors come about in two primary ways. One is organic, and two is just an ask. Yeah. And the first one, I don't need to speak to that much. It's just if it's going to happen organically, it's going to happen organically. They're in your life. They know your rhythms. They know your season of life. They're probably a few steps ahead of you in that season of life. Yeah. What have you? The second one I want to talk to you about a little bit because um, there are times when I have met a person and I've thought, you know what, I want to love Jesus the way they love Jesus, or I want to walk in the Spirit the way they walk in the Spirit. So much so that I'm actually going to seek their advice in my life in a regular rhythm, and I've just made an ask. Uh, so, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say one, Jason Dusing, who is a provost here at Midwestern Seminary, him and I met regularly during my master's degree and, and I considered him a, a mentor of mentors in, in a lot of ways. And that came from just making an ask. Yeah. And, uh, I will say there are, it's, it's, it was kind of nerve. It made me nervous to do that because one of the things I would want to say in terms of advice in doing that is, is two things. One do it in a way that respects that person, which means know their time limits. Yeah. Don't don't ask for two times a week, right, or, or something. Know their time limits. Know their busyness, and then also know if they say no, it's okay. It's it's yeah. okay for them to say no. Uh, I've had ha- I've sadly had to say no to someone who wanted to be mentored as well, and it like broke my heart. I wanted yeah. so badly to pour into to this brother and. I just did not have the space in that moment of my life to be able to do it. It was nothing against them. I just I could not make it work and be wise. And so I would say ask them in a way in which, if I can say it frankly, you're not a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Don't, don't okay. ask like a weirdo. Yeah. Uh, ask in a way that is honoring to them, yeah. uh, that is um, respectful and, and it shows that you've been thoughtful. And know that if they say no, it's, it's okay. Yeah. That's probably not totally satisfactory, but I think no, it's, it's good. a starting place.
0: Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't, um, you know, do, do what you can to not put them on the spot for them to feel like there's a sense of obligation. That's, that's a good word. You yeah. know, that you're building up to like, I really need, you know, whereas now someone feels totally obligated. I think the most uh, beneficial, mutually beneficial, um, uh, is, is the kind of organic. It's something that's come uh, as, a, as a, you know, through the uh, community of your church. Naturally, like a relationship uh, develops, so the first thing i would I would say is, are you putting yourself in proximity to these you know to people who would be potential mentors on a regular basis in your church community and and some churches actually sometimes stifle disability with kind of the age divisions, right? Mm. So like in the churches, you know, that I came out of and here I am, I guess speaking negatively about them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the churches I came out of, like, um, you know, you, you progressed with the, with, with people, your own age through things, even into adulthood. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you go from the youth, you know, Sunday school class to the college and career, you know, Sunday school class, and then you go to the 30 something, and then it's like the young marrieds and, and, and you're always kind of divided up by this. So, you almost, you know, never interact with or are in kind of an environment with people who are older than you who could mentor. And it's not to say, you know, someone your age couldn't mentor you, but typically we're thinking of someone older further along, if you're young married, you're looking for someone who has grown children or something like that. Um and and churches, you know, I think sometimes can kind of stifle this because we don't we don't even know, you know, people who are in these positions. So short of just directly asking someone that you admire and think, you know, could be helpful to you. Um, you know, being in proximity, um, I think. So if there's a men's, you know, breakfast once a month, usually it's the old timers who go to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of churches, it's the old timers who you know uh, go to the men's breakfast. You know, put yourself in proximity where maybe something can develop a relationship of some kind. You hit it off with one guy in particular. Men's retreats, different things like that. Same for uh, you know, ladies. Uh, you, you know, taking advantage of women's ministry stuff. Those sorts of things. Are you able to? be in community where something could develop more Mm -hmm. organically. And then short of even the direct, will you mentor me question, asking somebody for coffee or something like that. So it feels less pressure, but in the midst of that conversation, you can learn more about them and and you're being mentored because you're hearing sort of their wisdom about, uh, you know, family or about work or whatever it is that you're looking for. And then I think if just none of that is available to you panning out, um, then I think you can make sort of a direct Mm -hmm. question. And 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 I think framing it as discipleship in some way, um, or just explaining kind of what it is you want to be mentored on. Yes, you know that's helpful. I'm really struggling with this thing, and and I I feel like you have experience and wisdom in this area. I'd love to just be able to meet with you once a month or twice a month or whatever it is, and I'll buy you coffee. Mm-hmm. And if I could just pick your brain for an hour or something like that. You're giving, you know, specifics and you're kind of framing what it is. You're just, you know, defining what it is. If you just go up to someone and say, I want, you know, will you mentor me? <laughs> In my experience, um, that can be really intimidating. People, yes. don't, you know, they don't know what that means. You don't got to write a curriculum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, so a friend of mine, young guy who goes to my church, a student here, asked me to do, you know, to direct uh, a study for um, his uh, uh, independent study of preaching. And that's, you know, I wanted to know all of that. So to me, it wasn't an automatic no, but I thought it might be a no depending on the, the time constraints and how often and what the substance is. And do I need to write, you know, like what is it that's going to take place in our meetings? Is there a syllabus? I wanted to know all of that so that I could say eventually yes, which I did say yes, but I could have said no, you know, depending on what, you know, not, you know, the uh, murky nature of what it is. If I don't know what's, you know, you know, going on, going into it. So you just want to be really clear, yeah. I think. and That's a and, good yeah. word, too. Even and a take small, pressure off.
1: A small example of just like having the pressure taken off with some clarity. Uh, this isn't quite the same, but I had someone ask me if I could walk with them through the process of delineating a dissertation topic. Uh. They, were just, they were trying to figure out what they wanted to write on. They knew I had you know, finished writing my dissertation. And what that ended up doing was I said, yes, we met probably three or four times to work through different ideas. And as this person started actually writing, I was just naturally wanting to know how it was going. And so while they were asking for a mentorship that was only going to last, you know, two or three weeks, I actually kind of stayed with them, uh, which was, uh, I think, a benefit to both of us. Nice.
0: Okay, here's Nathan on Twitter. Any wisdom, Nathan asks, on how to appropriately prioritize community involvement while not neglecting the church body? And there was some... Context of the question, Nathan brought up sort of um, volunteering in a community service uh, capacity as a as a minister. I forgot what he mentioned. Some sort of um, maybe it was a crisis pregnancy center or something like that. Uh, but anyway, doing volunteer community service, how do you appropriately prioritize that while not neglecting the church body? Any thoughts on that, brother?
1: Um. Yeah, I. Again, this one's going to be pretty. Pretty unsatisfactory as well. I don't know why you have me on this podcast. Uh, You're but, mentoring uh, me, even 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 now. Uh, mentoring <clears throat> you in the bad decision to. Close I guess with so. Me. No, 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 no. I would say here, your intuition's probably going to be right here. If a person's asking this question because they're neglecting the body, their conscience is probably telling them a little bit. Okay. Uh, at the same time. I, I don't want to stifle my dad for example is very involved in his community he's yeah yeah he does a lot of extracurricular things um but we have had the conversation of hey do you think this takes away from your ability to like mentor people in the church or the Sunday school class or or whatever it may be and and he's kind of constantly weighing those things uh, he loves being involved in the community and he also loves you know being involved in the local church and to him those are those are very connected because of, often his Formal roles in the community lead to evangelism opportunities yes. or discipleship opportunities, what have you. Right, uh, which is very beneficial for the local church, of course. Um, so I would just say, my my really maybe not satisfactory answer would be: be in tune to the Spirit, listen to your conscience, and and balance. Ask yourself the question: Am I neglecting the gathering? If that's the case, you're definitely in the wrong. Gotta, right, right. That. But. Uh, if, if it's, you know, bent towards, if, if your community involvement is bent towards mission, bent towards the good of the local church, bent towards the good of others, bent towards the glory of God, those are great things to do. Yeah. Uh, and that can look a whole host of ways. And so I would say that's probably the, that's the balance you need to make sure that you're, that you're hitting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would want to ask questions related to how much time in, in your week. Is this almost like a part-time job? Type situation where you're so involved, like you're on the you're on the board, um, and it's very engaging. It 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 occupies a lot of real estate in your schedule, um, and even that necessarily doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing it. You know, especially if you know how connected is this ministry to your church, and yeah. what is the specific mission of your church in your context? Is there some, you know are you in an urban ministry setting where um, you know this is something connected to your church and it's a vital ministry to the community? And so your church has somehow even sort of commissioned you to kind of head these things up or be, you know, you know, um, extensively engaged in them. I want to know those sorts of things, but if we're just talking about, I think it's important to be involved in my community. And so, so at my last church, for instance, I volunteered, um, at the food pantry, uh, the next town over from us, um, another, uh, member of our church did as well. And we volunteered at the same time. I saw that as an important means of, uh, of ministry to the community, as you mentioned, it opens up some evangelistic opportunities, right? Uh, for me, it was a question of, gosh, I'm spending so much time uh, in church people's homes or in my office, and I need to be somehow out in the world um, engaging with lost people more often. Yeah. And this was a means of doing that. So I'm, I'm doing acts of service, and I'm kind of engaging with lost people on a regular basis. Um, that didn't eat up a whole lot of real estate in my, in my schedule. So I never felt like, gosh, I'm neglecting. The church and in some ways, I saw it as a fulfillment of my ministry and my ministry to the church because you know if you're looking at the qualifications for the pastorate, you see um you know well regarded by outsiders, you see things like even hospitality I think plays into this because hospitality is not simply about having other Christians in your you know into your home and having fellowship and that sort of thing it's It's more evangelistic, it's mm. about you know being hospitable to the stranger to the alien sort of um to outsiders. And that certainly um, entails in your home, using your home as a means of mission and evangelism. But I think it also just means being hospitable, being welcoming to um, outsiders out even outside your home. <clears throat> so for me, it was an extension of, um, you know, opening up uh, evangelistic opportunities and was a means of being hospitable to um, to lost people. Um, but if it was something, gosh, I'm there three, four days a week yeah. and um, and and ministry is slipping through the cracks and people aren't being pastored, um, I think those things, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you'll be able to identify if that's really happening or not. Yep. I also don't know, I don't, again, I, you know, for the, a lot of these questions, we don't know exactly what's motivating them or what the specific situation is, but if there's concerns from some in the church, maybe, gosh, you're spending a lot of time, pastor, over at that place. And you're kind of weighing like, "Ah, I kind of disagree with them. Hmm. Um, I think that's worth bringing to whatever leadership you have, whether it's other elders and say, okay, there's a a concern that's been expressed about the amount of time I'm spending. Can you help me discern that? Can you help me see, should I, you know, should I be concerned about that? Are they right? Um, Are they wrong? Is there somewhere in the middle where I should be more circumspect about how I'm spending my time? Uh, You may need to be prepared to defend. Hey, this is why I think this is important. Uh, I'm at the Crisis Pregnancy Center because I think this is the number one moral issue of our day and our culture, and I think it's important for our leadership to be involved in it. That's why I'm engaged. Yeah. Maybe the nature of my engagement needs to change, but but I don't want to disengage. You know, all these sorts of things I think play into um, just getting wisdom from those around you to help you kind of discern, um, you know, the, you know the answer to that. But I think, yeah, as you said, like you know, in the in previous question, um, I think you know, like if you're yeah. if if you're Robbing, you know, ministry from your church, then there's probably some guardrails you need to put up mm-hmm. in 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 relation to that. Uh, okay, so Aaron on Twitter wants to know how do you pastor people through midlife. You know a whole lot about this, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> As a middle-aged young person yourself. <laughs>
1: With a middle-aged young as, 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 a, as an old
0: soul. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even thinking of that. I was just thinking about you, just you. Yeah, no, um, I just, I'm just i doubly. Yeah, you, you, Emmaus is starting to grow we old. Are, yeah. We are. We're getting
1: more and more gray hair. There you go. For that. we, That's wonderful. We beg the Lord for it, and he's, he's blessing us that way. Uh, <clears throat> Jared, I think you're the one who should start this question. Yeah. I, listen, as a writer, and I'm assuming this person is asking uh, on the basis of your, a recent article you wrote, I literally, I saw the article, guys. This this article is called "Midlife." <laughs> Sorry, <clears throat> "Midlife Christ is." Yeah, I literally so play said, on words. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> In the best way possible. I got a that lot was, of. I got, so got a lot of. Good. Okay,
0: I was gonna say I got I got some compliments. No, on the that title. was awesome. Okay. I was just like, it could feel like a dad joke, but you it know. was like
1: right in the tension of dad joke and <laughs>
0: great writing. That's right. I midlife mean, cri- uh, Crisis, Midlife Christ is. Yeah, oh, that's kind of what I was doing. Yeah, that's what he, you know, Aaron on Twitter did mention that article. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it was a great article. I, I I highly recommend listeners to go listen to it. So I'll I'll let you start, Jared. I'll, and maybe I'll find something to say along the way. Yeah, well, I. <sighs>
0: This is a very interesting question because it's something I've only begun kind of seeing from this side, right? So I've been the younger pastor, pastoring older people um, for a while, but only now have I been an older person with pastors who are younger than me. Hmm. So now I'm, I'm, I'm a member of, uh, of my church. I'm not an elder there. And all, all of my pastors are younger than me. So I'm beginning to see kind of the, you know the perspective of some that I have pastored before, like Oh gosh, like, you know, how did I come across as a as a younger person? Did I come across as someone who um, you know, didn't understand what they were going through or or the you know, seasons of life that they were navigating? Um, and in some ways, um, I think there are there is some overlap of understanding, um, but without experience, sometimes there's yeah. just not um, you know, you can't be on the same page. So um in some way, as someone who has pastored older people and is now being pastored by younger people. Um, I want to say that some things don't change. You know, to shepherd someone, to pastor someone of any age, whether it's midlife, um, old age, or young—you know, young people—is to point them to Jesus. And I think uh, you know, even if it's a season of life that you don't have any experience with, um, you know, it's the same as a, a married pastor uh, who's been married a long time—you uh, know, pastoring single persons. All right, you know, someone who's been single a long time. Well, you don't have that experience. But you share Christ in common, yeah. and you can, you can be a listening ear. Um, you don't have to say, I know exactly how you feel if, you know if you don't, uh, but you can point them to Jesus as mm-hmm. their satisfaction. Um, if you know the Word well, you can point them to you know, portions of Scripture that may apply to them in ways that maybe they don't apply to you, or at least uh, in the same way you know, they don't apply to you. Um, you, you. know, So I don't think it's like reinventing the wheel. There's nothing about midlife that's like, oh, gosh, what's the— you know How do I crack this code? But I also think just being um, aware of what happens at um, usually in the middle age uh, period, the midlife period, where, where that crisis comes from, which is kind of what I was exploring in that article, which is at um, my blog at the Gospel Coalition, by the way. Um, I should have saved it for, uh, for, for the church. I'm very sorry I did not. <laughs> hey, you know what? We'll, we'll forget it this time. <laughs> but is that my TGC blog? Um, but one of the things I was trying to mention was as I get older, I'm getting to, you know, I used to wonder, like, why do, you know, like middle-aged men suddenly freak out, buy sports cars and have affairs and all these sorts of things. And now, I st- you know, I, you know, of course, you know, still think that's terrible, but I, I have a, a little bit more understanding of like where it comes from. So you hit this um, age where, um, especially if you have kids, they're getting older, they're, you know, moving on, yeah. um, you, know, you know, theoretically. And if you haven't been invested in your marriage. You're looking at, gosh, I'm about to be alone in a, in a house with someone that I've just been co-parenting with for 20 years and we actually haven't been engaging emotionally and spiritually with each other. And that can create some angst that now we're strangers in this house. We've, we've related to each other only as co-parents and not actually as, as one flesh, as husband and wife. That you know creates tension. Just the, the, the stressors of kids going to college or, or leaving the home, the anxiety that that can create. Will I have the financial ability to support them? What happens if something happens to them and I'm not there to help? All these sorts of things. Um, you know, there's a tension there. Also, just as you get older, um, you know, thing, you, your metabolism slows down. You start having more health problems. Um, it, it becomes more difficult to maintain health. You're, you're facing uh, mortality. And so, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago who who's, uh, was relating that his father's really struggling with this. It's dawning on him. And COVID kind of exacerbated this. Like he, he's getting older. He, he has friends that are getting older. And he realizes he's going to die. Now, we all know that. But as you get older, that just begins to sink in. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not getting stronger. I, you know, I'm not getting younger, obviously. I'm going to die. So you have that kind of looming. If you don't have a you know, spiritual um, anchor there, um, and sometimes even if you do, you just have these moments of, gosh, this is going to end. What have I been doing in my life? You, know, you yeah. look back, do you have regrets? You look at the time that's remaining. Will I be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish? Or have I been investing in, in the right things? You also have your own parents often who are aging, right? So uh, um, if your parents are still alive at, at middle age, they're elderly. And you're beginning to think, how do I take care of them, and and you know, you know, financially, um, in terms of their health, all these sorts of things. So all of that just kind of creates, you know, this perfect storm of a transitional season where there's just uh, it it can feel like a lot of instability. So I think know that as you go in, so you're not playing things off like it's no big deal, or gosh, you you know, we you're about to have empty nest, that's going to be great, you know, all these sorts of things, Um, and it could be. But I just think being aware of what's going on in that, in that season is a huge part of the battle. Not blowing it off, not acting like people are silly for having some anxiety or kind of, you know, even feeling a sense of crisis maybe. Um, you know, helping, you know, not shaming them, but helping them look to Christ as their satisfaction. Yeah. And to steward the time they have left well. Like, okay, maybe you do have regrets about how things have gone. What can you do now, today, this week, next week? In the days ahead, to invest in your marriage, to pre- prepare financially if possible? What can you do to, of course, uh, reengage in, in your relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, as long as you're breathing, it's not too late to turn to Christ. So, are these things that we can kind of you know, help you with? Um, you know, I kind of think that's um, key. And then I also just think, in terms of like shepherding church members who are in midlife, if they have not begun thinking about investing in the younger generation, In some way, maybe it goes back to this mentorship question, but discipling, engaging in the church in some way, um, you know, uh, passing the baton, so to speak, that should be a a key topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. All right, it's time to start thinking. You're, you know, you're in your second to last lap, maybe. How do you begin um, thinking about passing the baton yep. on to some stronger runners? That's something I think wow. uh, that should be part of the substance of pastoring.
1: I think that's a good word. And, and you said that the main thing. I only had one really one point that I really wanted to hit on, and, and you you hit on it. But it's really just the I've not been through a midlife crisis. Obviously, I'm too young to to have that. However, some of the impulses that are behind a midlife crisis I have intuitively hardwired into my psyche. Unfortunately, the Am am I valuable? Have what I, has uh, what I have done been valuable? Have I wasted my life? The, the role of shame, those kinds of things. Um, I'm sadly overly introspective, and so those kinds of questions boil up in me often. And one of the things that I was just going to say that you said very well is, um, I, I I had a professor once say that uh, puppy love is real to the puppy. And that was a passing comment, but it meant a lot in the yeah, sense of, yeah. like, if I'm, if I'm, you know, pastoring a uh, a 14 year old who's going through a breakup, and they're just, you know, thinking this is the worst thing ever. It's right. it's, it's tempting to be like, okay, this is silly, get over That's it. That's right. You're yeah. gonna be fine. But while it's puppy love, it's real to them, you right. know, And I should I should mentor and counsel as if it's real hurt to them. And I think the same is true for midlife crisis. I think. For some reason in our culture, it's easy to joke about it. Like, yeah. oh, go buy a motorcycle or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. but this is real crisis to real people. And so I would just say uh, be sensitive to that and, and help them understand their value in,
0: in light of the gospel. That's good. Okay, last question. This comes from Bob on Facebook. Facebook coming through Facebook in the clutch. Bob. Don't say anything good. Uh, uh, you know, bad could, uh, you know, only happens on Facebook. I don't know if I said that right. <laughs> don't say nothing good can ever come from Facebook. That's what I meant to say. I'm, I'm, I'm weary in my midlife age, my brain. I'm getting hey, the brain that's cloud. That's real weariness, Jerry You need to pastor me through this moment. Bob on Facebook says, how do you begin a conversation on replanting with a dying church? And here's how I understood his question. Um, there's a church in your community, so not your church, but a church in your community or churches that you're aware of that you want to come alongside. This seemed to be kind of uh, in, in the context that he was describing. Um, you. Your church or your pastors want to help a church that is dying yep. and needs to replant but may have trouble facing reality. Um, so how do you begin that conversation? How do you approach that other church about, about the replanting conversation? Yeah.
1: So I want to be, be careful about what I say here. But we, <clears throat> from experience, so we planted a church about seven years ago. And about year three, we were growing pretty good. And we had a church in our community that was not. They were a hundred-year-old church, uh, FBC kind of thing, and just one of those great legacy churches. And they were in significant decline. And their pastor approached our church about merging. Mm-hmm. And so we, we went through all of the conversations. We toured both facilities. We talked with their leadership team. We talked with the elders, uh, talked with their deacons. And one of the things we learned was that this church— Thinks they're healthy. Yeah. And for a merge to successfully happen, we need them to recognize their unhealth. Right. And so the reason that is ap- applicable to this particular question is when it comes to replanting, I've heard you know uh, guys like John Mark Clifton, for example, say, uh, who, who's well, way more wise on these questions than I am, uh, it's very hard to replant a church that does not know they're dying. Right, uh, it takes a little <laughs> bit of self recognition of like, hey, we're probably not gonna make it yeah. if something doesn't change, and therefore we need a leader, a leader who's going to come and bring about some change. And so I would say that's one of the first questions I would ask is, what is the temperature in the room? How self aware is this church? Uh, because one of the things we we talked about in that potential merge, which would have been a replant—that's that, what it should have been called—we were being kind and calling it a merger. Yeah. Um, is they had hills they were willing to die on. And like, look, I can, I can, if I held up a mirror and said, this is why you're dying, <laughs> it's these hills that right. you're like, well, telling us, yeah. you know, if we merge, you have to do these things. Well, that's probably why no one's coming at this point. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I, would say, I think that's just a big, that's a big, that's a big question. You don't wanna ask like, hey, do you know you're dying in the next five years? Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't wanna do that. Yeah. But finding a way to take the temperature, finding the pulse in the room of, the, the self-awareness of the church because if you get a group of people who say we we know that we haven't done it in a way that's going to be long-term sustainable but we want to yeah well that's a great people to lead yes uh, they're probably going to follow you in division uh, but if you get a people who's saying no our way is our way is amazing the only reason we're dying is because the culture is terrible and they, they, they just don't understand well that's going to be very difficult right so I think that's a good first question
0: yeah and it's kind of the difference um, I think with your you know, elucidating is 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 the difference between a replant and a revitalization as well, because a replant entails death. It's yeah. Like the, this thing is, is is shut down, and we're building something new here. So we're not trying to do a renewal work within existing structures, yeah. but we're really we're wave, waving the right you know the white flag all around. Yeah. So if the church isn't willing to, in a sense, die early, you know, like we're we are dying, we actually let's go ahead and pull the plug. So, we can work towards the rebuilding now, um, then you can't do a replant. Yeah. So, if they're saying, okay, we want to do something new or we want to grow, but we don't, you know, we won't let you touch this area and we don't want to shut that down and we don't, then what they're saying is we want to keep dying, right? Or in some, you know, in some way. Um, you, know, that, you know, that's what they're saying. So, that's not a viable, I think, replant situation. You just kind of hands off. So, I think approaching them in terms of asking them the question, I do think facing reality is important, especially for a church that, if, if in your mind, hey, the way that you're going, um, you're not going to be around in a couple of years, you know, um, at this rate. Um, if, if they're not able to acknowledge that in some way, um, you know, finding a way to, to express that, but to do it humbly. Mm-hmm. The worst way to begin a replant conversation is to come in like, you guys have done it all wrong. Oh, We're yes. doing everything great. Uh, you know, let us, you know, come and sort of take you over and, and, and we'll show you the right way. So It's so disrespectful of people who have given years of their life, and, and um, a lot of times there's, you know, there's older members in these churches who have been there for decades um, and have sacrificed so much, and it's a painful thing. It's a painful thing when a church is dying, and so facing reality can be very difficult. They don't want to face that reality. They don't want to face the idea that I've given my life um, to this thing that is not going to survive now. Mm. So it's 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 akin to it's not the same, but it's akin to losing a loved one, you know, to losing a person. You don't want to face that reality. So don't come in with some kind of swagger, we're the new kids on the block, or uh we've got the big church. So obviously we're doing things right, you know. Um, you know, no local church really seems to last forever. You may last hundreds of years, but you know, churches die. They, you know, they have seasons, that sort of thing. So don't come in as if um, you know, you're Superman, and and they just need to wake up to how great you are and how pathetic they are and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I think repenting of any kind of arrogance, you know, coming in with a sense of humility, but backing off if if there's just no openness, um, you know, to the conversation. But, uh, you know, okay, so let's, so let's just say, this is our last question, this is what we'll end with, but um, say, you know, you have someone who's serving as a pastor or, or interim pastor or, or whatever it would be. And he recognizes I'm really just sort of the chaplain to these people's, you know, last, uh, you know, vestige of, of, um, you know, hope in this church or whatever it is. And church does need to change. Uh, all right, I'll have coffee with you, Pastor Ronnie. And he sits down. What sort of questions do you ask? What's sort of uh, the nature of that conversation? Yeah, I would ask questions that
1: lead to self-diagnosis. Exactly like we've been saying. Yeah, I, I would want I would want to ask some questions that set up the conversation for him to be able to volunteer the life of the church. Gotcha. You know, and I think what you said is so important. Coming in as the Savior is just never going to be good. But if you can say something like, I mean, just think about the difference between these two tones. Tone one is you guys have done everything wrong. There's a reason you're dying. It's not working. I have all the answers to fix it. That's terrible, obviously. Tone two is, hey, there's something in this church worth fighting for. There, what the Lord has done over the past 80 years in this church is a good work. He has good people in this body. And what, what the Lord has brought about in this church is worth giving our lives towards. Mm. Well, that's a very different tone. And you're immediately working towards buy-in from yeah. the people. Uh, because you actually want to lead a, a people, not just you know, fix a ship. Um, and so I would ask questions to try to figure out, uh, where things kind of started declining, what exactly is going on. I did, one of the questions we asked were, what are the non-negotiables? Like, what are the bombs? If I came in and yeah. tweaked this thing, what level of response am I getting? Is this like, the, oh, yeah, I don't really love that he wants to change that, but I get it. Yeah. Or is this like, a, no, our family's leaving and we're taking, you know, half the church with us. Yeah, yeah. For instance, uh, you know, this is a conversation for another time, but one of the ones that, that the, the, in our actual situation, he said, if you don't have a verbal altar call every week, every single person will leave. This is a, and he said, this is an atomic bomb issue, altar calls or bust. Mm. And so we're like, okay, that was a helpful thing to hear Yeah. in terms of what is, you change that, you're changing our identity and we're not following you. Yeah. you know, those are the kinds of questions I would want to ask yeah. to figure out what are those landmines at.
0: Yeah, and I think as part of the dealing with the reality question, Giving people a sense of hope as well and helping them to see, you know, legacy, which is to say, yes, this church could live again. It may not have the same name, same structure, same leadership, et cetera. But don't you want to see the ministry of the gospel go on here? Appealing to people's sense of legacy, appealing to their sense of gospel ministry. That's really how you find out if someone's really bought in. If they're really just about dedication to that structure or if they're dedicated to the ministry of the gospel. And I think um, a lot of genuine believers would say, you know what? Um, Yeah, we're willing to have this conversation because the most important thing is that the gospel continues to go out. And I'd love to see that continue to go out from this place or from, you know, this community. Um, And, you know, that's sort of the kind of appeal to make, not just um, we've got a great thing going. We can replicate that here or we can help you replicate what we do. But to say we would love to see gospel ministry continue from here—that's um, a, a better starting place, I think, for the conversation. All right, some good questions. We'll, have, we'll we'll do another mailbag installment in uh, you know a few months or so. Uh, you guys are asking great questions these days. Um, there were quite a few that we just um, you know, didn't have time for as well that were really substantive and, and yeah. in some ways difficult as well. Sometimes I'm thinking, man, would that, that might would be a whole episode to, mm-hmm. you know, to dedicate to that. It's one of
1: our longer episodes, so you can tell it's good questions.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's good questions. Or we're just very long-winded either. <laughs>
1: we talked about Zeus a little too long. <laughs> maybe,
0: maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, listeners, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts. I used to say iTunes. iTunes isn't even a thing. Why did, why did you let me keep saying it? It's such an old person it's not even it's Apple Podcasts right <laughs> they've changed it on me you, you can't even go to iTunes anymore <laughs> I love that your question is why do you keep yeah. letting me say <laughs> come on young buck you gotta keep me from sounding old give us a good review on Apple Podcasts Spotify wherever Stitcher that's a thing <laughs> Stitcher hey look at you wherever you listen to podcasts and until next time may Jesus be big in your church you've been listening to the For the Church Podcast hosted by Jared Wilson Found online at FTC.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.